problem is going His cousin, a man named Hamlet, comes to him and says, I have a business proposition for you, Jeremiah. I want you to buy this piece of land right here. I want you to buy it back. It's a field. It's right. It's your uncle's field. And you have the right of first refusal, the right to redeem this piece of land. You have the right to buy it before the creditors come and take it. The creditors have called all their debts. My uncle can't afford to pay for it. And so I want you to buy it so it doesn't fall into the money grabber's debt collector's hands. I want you to buy this piece of land. So he shows on the piece of land and he has them to buy it. And God has already told Jeremiah that his cousin Hanamal was coming. And so Jeremiah says, sure, I'll buy it. Drop the contracts. You know how this works if you've ever bought a house. They sit down, they call in the closing of lawyer, a man named Baruch. He says, Alright, sign here on the front of this page. Initial here, sign on this page over here. Keep going, initial at the bottom of each page. Initial again. This is your credit report. This is the survey of the property. This is something that says that the lender cannot discriminate against you. This is the page that says if you think the lender has discriminated against you, you can file charges next. This is the page that says you have another credit report. This is the page that says they're going to need your tax return for the last 10 years. This is the page uh, that says this is the price you agreed to on it. This is the page that says that if you don't pay your bills, the bank is going to come get it. This is the page that says you can pay it off early and there's no penalty for paying it off early. Jerusalem and all of Israel and all of Judea will be overrun by the Babylonians. 
that the temple will be destroyed, that the laws of Jerusalem will be destroyed, that Israelite, that all the Israelites' best, brightest, smartest, most powerful, most educated, will be taken as slaves for Babylon, to be reculturated, to be reindoctrinated in the ways of Babylon. It's in that moment where there is no hope, where it is too late, it is too broken, it is too far gone, that God says, buy this piece of land. Buy this piece of land from your cousin. This useless, irredeemable piece of land. You see, God is delivering his people to the Babylonians because, as we saw in God's word, they have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. That day after day they have turned their backs on me and knocked their face. Though I chased after them again and again. Though I sent my word and I sent prophet. Though I tried my best to chase them down. They have run from me and not to me. And in running from me they've done all kinds of despicable things. Did you see what they've fallen to? They're not only worshipping other gods. But the ways that they've fallen into worshipping these false gods are despicable. Are detestable. It says they are sacrificing their sons and daughters to Molech. The only way God can get their attention, the only way God has left is to show them that their gods are not gods at all. So God says, if these are your gods, let them say. If Molech is your God, let them say. And he can't. And so Jerusalem falls, and they go into exile when they learn that the gods of the nations are not God, that only Yahweh, only Jehovah, only the God of Israel can save. You see, this is Jeremiah's impossible, irredeemable, broken down. It's too late to be fixed. He's already been, he's already been told what's going to happen. Already decided the situation is already finished. God says, Why? God says, Why? Israel is already already making countless bad decisions. They are already experiencing the consequences of their actions. They are already experiencing the natural ramifications of their own faithfulness. Already needing
maybe for you it's somebody you love. Maybe for you it's the mental health consequences. You've been diagnosed with, with uh, something like bipolar and you're on this roller coaster trying to get your meds right. Maybe so maybe your husband left. Maybe your kids ran away. Maybe you've already signed the bankruptcy. God told him to buy this land. God told him to buy this land. Because he said, it may be broken now, but anything is possible with God. And one day soon, after you've been led into exile and you've learned to love me with all you have, I will lead the people back. I will restore everything that has been taken will come back. Lands and fields will be brought again. People will have it. They'll have livestock and animals. They will. Uh, everything that is gone will come back. I think about... Um, the band singing in Atlantic City, everything dies, maybe that's a fact. Maybe one day everything is dead. Some day you won't come back. I'm all over there listening to some kind of pop or something. I don't know. God's saying, it'll come back to lands, the fields. I'm bringing everybody home. I will restore Jerusalem. I will restore Judah. I will restore Israel. That is what he's saying again and again and again. You see, and then we saw it. Um, in verse uh, 36, he says, 
He says, you say by sword and famine and plague it will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I will surely gather them back from the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. God is using this act as a prophetic thing. That do this. I know it doesn't make any sense, but do it. Trust me. Trust me, Jeremiah. The first thing I'll tell you about the first thing I mean, like the 800 thing I've already said, but guys, the difference between foolishness and faithfulness is a calling of God. It may look foolish to everybody around you. It looks foolish when Noah built the ark on dry ground. He was told to. It looks foolish when Jeremiah bought this land. He was told to. If God tells us to do it, it doesn't matter how foolish it looks. The difference between foolish and faithful call on God. And God says this. And sure enough, He does. He's going to lead Israel back to the promised land. You guys know this uh, through Nehemiah and Ezra. Remember that? Remember Nehemiah and Ezra? And you remember um, when uh, Esther has to go in? That God leads the people back provisionally. And at the end of time, he will give the land back to his people forever, and they will live in it. But he promises them something even greater than giving them land again. You see in verse 39, he says, I will give them singleness of heart and action, so that they will always fear me, so that they will then go, everything will go well for them and for their children. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me, so that they never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will assuredly plant them in this land with all, all, all my heart and soul. He says, not only am I going to, to bring them back to the land, he says, I'm going to work an internal transformation in them that you should not imagine. You remember what he said earlier? He said, since the days of their youth, they've always only done that. Now they're always only ever going to love God. He is going to make a transformation of character. He is going to remove every single defect of character from them. He will give them stillness of heart. Now mind to know and fear God. They will not only know what they should do, they will want to do what they should do. They will be transformed from greedy people to generous people, from fearful people to faithful people, uh, from cowardly people to courageous people. They will be transformed from slothful people to servant people. They will be people who are transformed um, from people-pleasing to God-honoring. They will be people who are transformed uh, from all kinds of defects of character. They will be people uh, who are transformed from ego to self-offering love. They will be transformed into the kind of people who live like they are loved by God. The kind of people who love their neighbor as they love themselves. They will uh, be transformed inwardly from idol worshippers, people who are defined by what they have or what they wear or who they uh, associate with, to people who are defined by, by God. They will worship God. They will fear God. But even more than that, even more than that, God promises on something incredible in the next chapter. And so if you step your Bibles open, look at Jeremiah 33. Go down to verse 14. This is an extension of the same prophecy we've been reading. This is an extension of what we're talking about. 
Look what he says. Verse 14, he says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. Verse 15, In those days, at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from the David's line, and he will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which he is, will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Verse 17, for this is what the Lord says, David will never, have, never fail to have a man sit on the throne of his throne. No Levitical priest ever failed to have a man stand before him continually to offer burnt offerings, to burnt grain offerings, to present sacrifices. Verse 19, for the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that night and day no longer come at their appointed times, and then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites, who are priests ministering for me, can be broken, and David will no longer have a descendant to reign his throne. I will make the descendants, I will make the descendants of David, my servant, the Levites who minister before me, as countless as the stars and stars, as measureless as the sand. righteous branch out from David's line who will sit on David's throne who will reign in David's place who will reign forever and ever who will do what is right, who will reign with justice and mercy, who will bring safety and security to his people, who will be their righteous savior nothing is too hard for the Lord, nothing is too hard for the Lord just when it looks like it cannot go well, just when it looks like it's too far gone just when your life looks like it's too far gone just when the world looks like it's too far gone God does the same thing again. Look at Luke chapter 1. You just heard these words, but Luke chapter 1. The world is in shambles. Israel has once again been conquered. Israel is a slave state to a big nation. And they are sitting there, and it says this. It says that the angel Gabriel appeared to a young woman, a virgin, pledged to be married to Joseph. Virgin's name was Mary. This is verse 27, verse 28. Went, the angel went to her, and greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. But the angel said to her, But the angel said, well, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Verse 31, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Verse 32, You will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. He will win. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel? This is impossible. This cannot happen. Verse 35. The angel answered. The Holy Spirit will come on you. Power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one should be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, the rebel, is going to have a child in her age. Oh, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Verse 37. For no word from God will ever be. Anybody who's still carrying a King James Version? Anybody got one? Uh, man, I would guess one of you would have. I would bet one moment. I would bet this embarrassing moment. It says this. 
the King James Version and the NASB and the NRSB say this, we've got nothing is impossible. We've got nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. The same thing God told Jeremiah, the same thing Jeremiah affirmed to God, is the same thing God affirms when he actually answers this covenantal promise. In Jesus, nothing is impossible. Jesus will grow up and he will heal the sick and cure the blind and cure the lame. And then he will start to announce that, the, that sinners can be saved. And he will go on to say, and his, his Disciples are baffled by this. His disciples cannot understand it. You see, most of the time, we think, how could a loving God ever condemn one person? For the vast majority of human history, the opposite question has fascinated human beings have been the right one. How could a just God ever save one person? The disciples ask this question. You know what Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26? With human beings, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Now, people started to get this in Jesus. They started to receive that the prophecy to Jeremiah was coming true. That God had not just had not restored them to the land yet, but He had done the two harder things. You see, God couldn't put the people back in the land until he had given them a heart for the God of the land. And so God started to remake human beings in his own image. God started to restore uh, people to their right relationship with God. God saved them first from their greatest enemies, which are not the Babylonians, not the Greeks, not the Romans, but Satan, sin, and death. Jesus conquers it on the cross, and he starts to remake men and women. Jesus fulfills the prophecies, the covenants that God has made, the covenant to David that you will have a man sit on the throne forever. You see that the angel said he will sit on the throne of his father David and his reign over Jacob's descendants and his kingdom will have no end. Fulfilling that prophecy. Later we will see in Hebrews over the next month that Jesus becomes the priest who reigns forever and ever. The priest above the Levitical priesthood. The priest to whom all the Levitical priests point to. The priest before the Levitical priesthood. So that there is a priest who reigns forever. And then Jesus goes on to do something incredible. Jesus goes on to remake us. You see, Jesus is in the, in the business of remaking broken transforming our character like I just talked about removing every single defect of character and the church started to see this happen, they started to see not just sinners get saved, they started to see liars get honest, they started to see greedy people giving money back away like Zachariah, they started to see sick people healed, they started to see um, homeless people housed, they started to see uh, they started to see people changed radically by the gospel people who were powerless over addiction were still powerless in and of themselves. It was still impossible for them to get sober by themselves. But they've learned something miraculous. They are not by themselves. They don't have to by themselves. There is one with all power, and that one is God, and God has come near. And so Colossians chapter 1 ends with this, I now strive with all the power that Christ so powerfully works in me. But I have now been 
caught up to the greatest energizer battery ever. That I now am filled with the Holy Ghost. I now have access to the same power that raised Christ from the dead, according to Ephesians chapter 1. And with that power, the power that can make a dead man alive, the power of love that can take the God of the universe, the God who's put stars and planets in space, the God who upholds all of this incredible blue marble inside of the universe. That God could come down and visit this planet. When that is possible, when it is possible for God to become human, for a man to come back from the dead, all things are possible. The church started to get this, and they started to say things like in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to accomplish immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory and honor forever in the church. Church people. In the church, people, in the church, in the church is the place where anything is possible, where nobody's too far gone, where no situation is so broken, where no family is so wrecked, where no sinner is so lost, where no hope is, where, where hope is never gone, where anything is possible, where no character defect is so ingrained that it cannot be restored, where no coping mechanism is so tried that it cannot be healed, that no... No despair is so deep, no mental health crisis so big that God cannot heal it. That no son is so lost that God cannot reach them. That no daughter is so abused that she cannot be rescued. Anything is possible in the church. Anything. And I've been con just absolutely convinced of this over the last week. Do you guys remember we had that snowstorm and had to cancel church? You remember that? On Monday of that week, I got up, like I always do to go to work. And I decided I was going to go work at the coffee shop. Something compelled me to go up to 42, and it wasn't a need for coffee. I had my own coffee. I was just going to go sit in there and drink my coffee in their space. Because um, I'm cheap. <laughs> and I walk in, and sitting there, uh, sitting there are some of my friends, Joe David and Joy and Brittany. And I start sitting down, and Joy and Brittany, I'm telling you, I didn't ask for permission, but if they hate me, they can make them in trouble. They're both educators. And so they started to tell me about some of the, the trials that they run into as educators, the behavior of students, and, and the way that they feel like they can't discipline students, and, and, and how powerless they feel over that, and how students, they feel like they're getting worse and worse, or something like that. And, and Brittany told me this incredible story. She said, I have this, this student uh, who's a young kid, and he can cuss me sideways. He can, he can MF me and GP me and all kinds of things. He's six years old, six, seven, I don't know, five, six, seven years old, young kid. And she said, it makes me wonder, where did he learn that? He did learn it in school. He had to learn it from his parents. And you guys, and God, are doing this incredible work in me, that instead of judgment, which is my instinct, my natural response to bad people is to judge them. Yes, I am that man. You guys have been training me towards empathy. Remember, we did all this. If you work over the last couple of months, I'm thinking about emphasis. Everybody's decision makes sense to them. And how can I do it? So I remember sitting there. And part of this is because Brittany and Joy and Joe David are people who love people uh, drastically. So I wanted to love those people. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm so glad this little boy has you here to teach him a different way of life, to teach him that love wins, to teach him how to talk, to teach him how to communicate, to teach him that he can get his needs met without domination, without manipulation. He can get his needs met because he's loved, not because he's lovable. He can get his needs met because he is served, not because he's powerful. 
that he can get his needs met. He can learn new coping mechanisms from you. He can learn that grace changes people. And when you love somebody, even when they don't want to be loved, even when they don't believe your love, even when they push back, even when they call, even when they strike back and hit you, even when they curse you, when you respond with love, it changes He gets to learn that in your classroom. But what about the parents? What about the parents? Where did they learn this stuff? Where did they learn how to love and let themselves be loved? Where did they learn how to communicate and have good conversations where, where information is changed, where feelings are shared, where one another is respected and boundaries are honored? Where did they learn how to set an example for their kids, how to discipline and love that is not heavy-handed or quick-tempered? Where did they learn how to give forgiveness? Where did they learn how to receive forgiveness? Where did they learn how to make amends? Where did they learn uh, honesty and integrity? Where did they learn? Uh, where did they learn adulting, parenting, and relationships? So three things every adult has to figure out at some point. When you sat there with that question, I just asked it off the top of my head. We looked at each other. Not learn from TV. You can't learn that stuff in a two-hour movie. You're not going to learn from blog posts. You're not going to get into People Magazine or Cosmopolitan. You're not going to learn it from Fox News or CNN. Grace that changes. 
people, not false. It's grace. It's Jesus that changes people, not TV. It's grace, not, not talk shows, not talk news. It is grace. In a world where we can't talk to each other about our politics, in a world where we can't talk honestly about sex, in a world where we uh, just struggle to do the most simple things, where we can't keep our marriages together, where we can't raise our kids ourselves, aren't you glad you don't have to? Aren't you glad there's a place for you? Aren't you glad there's a place for your name? Aren't you glad there's a place for every act? Aren't you glad there's a place for every person struggling with a health issue like cancer or mental health? Aren't you glad there's a place for every divorcee, every engaged person, every student with deaths, every hungry person, every person who knows nothing about Jesus, every person who's never seen a Bible where they will get one and they will not be made fun of? Aren't you glad there's a place where you're not defined by what you wear or what you say or what God says about you? Because we have to, because we need to. 
Because God uses us and our gifts to remake a world that is desperate. Let's worship God. Let's join God on this great adventure to remake everything. Come, let's give God his tithes and our offerings. <laughs> Longer than they do. 